2: Dave and a
3: Before we get on to our next conversation about what's called the Sherry Black bill, which has to do with you know, you like take a, a genealogy swab of, of your of your mouth, Dave, and you send it off to one of these websites. Lawmakers did something regarding putting some guardrails up on searches of those databases when it comes to for law enforcement. We're going to take a dive into that in just a moment. But before we do, our favorite, Leah Murray, who just hung up the phone with us, who is a KSL at Night host, uh, really quickly fact-checked herself and sent us a text.
4: Yeah, just wanted to clarify that it will take two-thirds uh, of the House of Representatives to vote out George Santos, who's the lion cheater, allegedly. Uh, he's the representative out of New New yeah. York. He got voted in. He turned a, a Democratic seat to a Republican seat, but he did it by lying every step of the way, it seems. Yeah. But it would take two-thirds of the House of Representatives uh, to actually say, yeah, we want this guy out. It seems like there is bipartisan support that everybody hates this guy, though. Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage with David DeJenevic.
3: And with that, let's talk about... Uh, what lawmakers on Capitol Hill did to put down some rules? It sounds like for police when they go to search these genetic testing databases. Um, I don't know what they did. I honestly uh, saw this pop up at the la- on the last week of the legislative session, and I got really curious about it because I, I know t- I know two things. I know a lot of people do these swabs just to see yep. if they can tell where they're family history and how far back and who they're related to back to, you know, 800 BC and stuff like that. Right. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a big deal. I've done research with my mom at the genealogy library downtown here in Salt Lake city. We've done this for years for our family. Um, But I also know that these swabs are not only super popular, they may also be very popular with, um, with police when it comes to searching for criminals.
4: Well, especially here in Utah, we we have a a history. We have a love affair yeah. with genealogy. In fact, my my mother in law just texted the group chat this this weekend. You're not going to believe this, Deb. This is how far back it goes. We are direct descendants, and by we, I mean my wife is a direct descendant of Pocahontas. Oh, we just learned that. Like that is that is some incredible knowledge. So here in Utah, we have always tracked. Our ancestry, when you add the DNA level to it, um, the component, we, uh, not surprising, we have embraced it. We get excited about it. Mm -hmm. We want to know what the DNA tells us about our ancestry. And
3: I looked up on Amazon because I thought about taking one of these, and they're not that expensive. Uh, Probably save people who are doing genealogy research a lot of time. So I remember when I was doing it years ago with my mom when we were driving through Utah— We were there for hours and hours and hours and hours, and I I felt like we were running out of time. Um, So this would expedite things. So these are not that expensive, kind of fast-tracking how to to research a genealogy. But I want to learn more about these guardrails that law enforcement will have to follow.
4: Yeah, and I think this is something that we are celebrating because we've seen some big victories where police officers have used DNA, uh, this this tracking to find murderers.
3: Hence it, Sherry Black that, in South Salt Lake. Yeah, right?
4: that, that, that's a story that really hits home. But the BTK killer over in California found through the DNA testing as well. This is fascinating. But again, what are the appropriate guardrails?
3: Representative Steve Eliason on the line with us. Good morning. Good morning. So tell us what these guardrails are going to be for law enforcement if we submit our DNA uh, to one of these databases.
1: Yeah, so one of the important things that the bill we passed this session did was make it very clear that if law enforcement is going to use investigative genetic genealogy data, they have to be using uh, only databases that... Have made the uh, consumer aware that that uh, data could be used for that purpose, and requires the individual to affirmatively consent that they would allow their DNA information to be, you know, searchable by law enforcement. So some of the big names you hear, like uh, you know, Ancestry and 23andMe, they they don't even give uh, their customers the option, I think, to consent for this. There's There's other databases where people can consent to that. So make it really clear that law enforcement can only use a database that it's clear is is open to law enforcement and only if the individual has consented for their DNA to be searched in these types of uh, exercise investigations.
4: One of the things that makes this difficult is I could say no. Like, say I did the testing, but I don't want law enforcement to be able to use my DNA. But if my brother says yes, then it's it's easy, right? I mean, the, the connection is still very easy, even though I say yes or I say no and he says yes, and, and you can really branch that out quite a ways. Uh, that's true. The the,
1: the you know one of the main databases that is is open to law enforcement search is is pretty comprehensive, and it wouldn't just have to be your brother. there could be you know a, a more distant relative that could um, create a flag. But one of the important things to note is that you know up until this bill passed, there were no guardrails in place in state law. There was kind of a free-for-all. So the, the bill that I was the House sponsor of put those guardrails in place and would require law enforcement to follow a number of steps before they were to access this, and then they would have to get permission from uh, certain state agencies before they were to pursue it, and then even after they had uh, you know, think, thought that they had made that connection, get another sample from the suspect, confirm that that you know, is accurate.
4: Well, I I guess my concern, though, would be, since this law is, you know, in place, uh, say, for example, police use kind of this roundabout, um, you know, using a family member, whether it's a brother or a father or a a distant cousin, to to convict somebody um, who has said explicitly that they do not want to be a part of this, does that build some protection for the accused?
1: Yes. So, so right right now, meaning before this bill you know passed, which you know won't become law until it's signed by the governor and the effective date, there are zero guardrails. So this this puts uh, privacy guarantees in place for people who don't don't want to consent to allow their DNA to be searchable, and and specifies it has to be a, a very obvious opt in for people who who want that, which isn't the case now. So this. But could a judge throw out this,
4: could the the judge throw out that line of uh, investigation because the person opted out is what I'm trying to say. I don't want the BTK killer to get away because he checked a box somewhere.
1: Um, Well, the the important thing to note is that in the case of the the Golden State killer, um, if, if their DNA is already in the system, it's called CODIS, they don't even have to go to these lengths. These, th- this technology is only used for cold cases, very difficult to solve uh, cases, missing persons, you know, unidentified remains. And so, and if the person's data DNA was already in a database, they would need to do this. And so, um, that's why we put these guardrails in place so the courts, the prosecutors, the law enforcement know exactly how this data can and can't be utilized.
3: And this law goes into effect this summer. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for jumping on the line and walking us through um, how this will impact our listeners who use these databases. And so if you see this prompt pop up on the, on the database that you're using to submit your DNA, just so you can see, you know, if there's a fast track, figure out who you're related to, like your wife found out she's got a, she's a direct line to Pocahontas, um, you, can, you can opt out. Uh, you can p- pick the opt-out button, and then law enforcement won't have access to your DNA. It sounds like right now they do have access in some cases.
4: Yeah, I think they still have to uh, use court orders to find that information, right? Or do they just have? Do we all? I don't think we all have instant access to everyone's DNA. Obviously, uh, I just I'm a little bit concerned hmm. uh, that we're we're tying the hands. Of the investigators, of the police officers that are right, trying letting to, people opt out. Yeah,
3: mm. Represa- it's a concern. Thank you, Representative uh, Steve Ellison Isabel's uh, sponsor. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, Dave Colley of the Cold Podcast, a producer, reporter, investigative reporter of the Cold Podcast, uh, very familiar with the the Sherry Black case. Uh, she was uh, found murdered uh, in her bookstore and her. Um, on State or in, in South Salt Lake, I think it was on State Street, Seventh 7th East, or, Yeah, I think that was the location back in, in 2010, and they used DNA to track the killer. Uh, we're going to have Dave Colley weigh in.
5: Eye on the Hill 2023 Special Coverage with Dave and We're
3: going to find out more about this uh, Sherry Black bill that passed. Um, now heading to the governor's desk for signature. We just spoke with the representative, one of the two sponsors on Capitol Hill, about what it would do. And my read of it is that if you are signing up for one of these DNA databases where you swab the inside of your mouth, kind of the DIY, do-it-yourself swab, and you, you send it off and then you wait for them to come back with a, like a match, or that you have to actually opt in uh, to have your profile available for law enforcement to search what i'm I'm a little unclear on is is how the sherry black case she was murdered in november of 2010 in south salt lake and it took many years and it was through a dna match uh, that they found the suspect and he's since been sentenced to many years in prison i'm unclear as to how her case you know Factors in and yeah. in this in this piece of legislation. Sorry, yeah, that was long winded, but that's what I was trying to get.
4: I'm with you, Deb, because I, I remember and Sherry Black, uh, her her family, or she was. Um, it was one of those stories that just had, had gone cold. Right, it was completely and totally unsolved. No one, no one had any leads. It was extremely frustrating, um, and this was Greg Miller uh, of. You know, the the Miller family, Utah Jazzbees, everybody uh, is part of their family. So um, they they had resources. Mm -hmm. They had uh, interest in private investigators. All of this at at their fingertips. But this case just had no resolution. And then a decade later, because of DNA, this was solved. This was an enormous relief for that family.
3: Dave Colley, the host of the Cold Podcast, investigative reporter here at Broadcast House for KSL Podcasts. All right, so so back us up to the the Sherry Black case. I, I covered that. I know you covered that. Uh, I covered when law enforcement had no leads. I, I went on KSL five TV and I basically begged listeners, or viewers, to to call in tips because the case had gone cold for five years. And they eventually solved it through DNA, but I don't – was it through one of these, like, databases that, that we anybody can can use, Dave? I don't think it was, was it?
5: Actually, it was. Oh, okay. So the situation with the Sherry Black case uh, was there was physical evidence when Sherry was murdered in her bookstore in South Salt Lake that was collected as part of that initial investigation. It had suspect DNA on it. Uh, But when the investigators tried to run that against a known database, so, you know, if you're convicted of a crime and they take your DNA, it's put into a database, they didn't get any matches. So they had a profile for a suspect, but it didn't connect to an individual. So what they did is this cold case detective for Unified Police uh, went out and he ran uh, a genetic genealogy uh, search on this profile and developed kind of a family tree. And that is what eventually led them to identify their suspect. And then from there, they had to go the extra step of uh, surreptitiously tailing him in public, waiting until he discarded, I think it was like a drink cup, that they could test uh, and try to match his specific DNA to make that arrest.
3: Okay, that's where I was um, conflating the DNAs, uh, the samples, because I was remembering that that police had to. Basically, like you said, follow him (laughs) to get to get a sample of his DNA so they could test it and match it.
4: But it was the DNA program that pointed them in the right direction.
5: That's exactly right. And if you look at this bill that they uh, have just passed up at the legislature, it actually talks about that specific situation. They can't just uh, have a criminal investigator use a genetic genealogy link to charge somebody. It's a step in the process, but it by itself can't be used as grounds to make the arrest. They have to do that extra step of really making sure that the DNA matches to a specific suspect.
4: Okay. How do police feel about this? Does this hamper some of their investigative tools and efforts?
5: You know, Dave, I heard you having that conversation with Representative uh, Steve Ellison about, you know, not wanting to limit investigators. And I think what this bill does is it, it tries to strike a balance because the databases, these companies, they, uh, when this all started coming available uh, within the last 10 years, broadly, they started getting freaked out because their users were not wanting to sign up and use their program, fearing that they would be part of some dragnet. And so, uh, as you heard, you know, Ancestry.com, some of these others, they flat out prohibit police access. Uh, This bill tries to establish uh, a, a, a set of uh, I heard you say guardrails and that's basically what it is. It's it's the best uh, practices and procedures for police so that these companies will feel comfortable. I think in the absence of legislation like this, the risk would be that this tool will be completely off limits. Uh, it doesn't give police willy-nilly carte blanche to just do whatever they want with these, these databases. They do have to follow some rules, but uh, compared to the other situation, which would be no access, it does seem to be kind of that middle of the road.
3: Well, my feel this is my personal feeling. I haven't done one of these databases. I've certainly done quite a bit of genealogy the old-fashioned way with like microfish, but I don't really have anything to hide. So if my you know, first cousin seven times removed is in trouble with the law, you know what? Well, it's just too bad. (laughs) You know, if I'm going to, I'm probably, I would probably opt in because I I feel like, you know, I live a good life and I have nothing to hide. And I I would imagine that would be the majority of people who use these databases, but maybe I'm wrong, Dave.
5: Well, and there are two other scenarios uh, that play into this that I think people should consider, Deb, and that is unidentified remains. So if police find uh, a human remains somewhere and they collect that DNA and it doesn't connect to a database, they want to be able to use this kind of tool to identify who this person is, Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's one of the uses of this technology. Uh, The other one is this bill specifically uh, points out when it can be used for um, a claim of innocence. So if somebody is in prison, they've been convicted, and they say, hey, I think this genetic genealogy can actually prove that i didn't commit this crime uh they want to be able to have the right to use it as well and the bill uh allows for that so um you know for users i think the the appeal for you know sherry black's family they obviously advocated for this bill on the hill they want people to opt in And it's simply that they they just want people to understand that uh, this is a a helpful tool, both for criminal investigation, identifying, you know, John Doe, Jane Doe situations and even proving innocence uh, for wrongfully incarcerated people.
4: Dave Colley, thank you for joining us, host of the Cold Podcast investigative reporter here at KSL.
3: Yeah, great conversation. Thanks for clearing up um, just some, you know, spots there that I'd forgotten about along along the way um, very very helpful information Dave as always straight ahead you know I I suffer snow anxiety I look at the window this morning it was 2 a.m and I realized I was going to have to pull out the snowshoes or you know <laughs> ski in this morning and I could not go back to sleep so that's why I'm in the mood uh I'm in the mood <laughs> I'm in this morning Dave Dave Nesville you just thought it was because I hadn't eaten anything no no. It's it's that and also I'm just feeling we need a good we need a good few days of spring because I'm feeling a little dragged down um, by maybe it's seasonal depression um, but I'm feeling dragged down by all the cloudy days all the snowy days all the oh I guess I'll cancel my outdoor run and my outdoor walk days so we're gonna get Huntsman Mental Health Institute on the line in about three minutes to walk us through some tips to drag ourselves out of the the depths of